Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And yeah, being background of analytics and a bit of programming as well, that's how um, we created this tool, a property research tool, it's named Suburbs Finder. So that's how it all started. And now um, it's we launched it around 2020. So now it's being used by you know, mostly buyers agents. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Gilbert Melgar, founder of Suburbs Finder. He delves into the story of an encounter that first piqued his interest in investing, the driving force behind his determination to succeed in property development and how a $515,000 purchase he made became a property valued at $2 million. Remembering the early days of his first time living in Australia, Melgar shares a bit on the differences he's found between the land down under and his homeland, starting with what time shops usually close in the Philippines. Any day, weekday, you know, it's, it's like 10, to 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. I mean, the shops, the cinemas every day until midnight. I think it's very very hard working culture in, in Asia because I know it happens not just only in the Philippines but in say for example China and Hong Kong, they're all closed very late and um, that's the lifestyle, you know, everyone seems to be out and about after work and school. Yeah, whereas here in Australia, as soon as shops close, everyone's all home anyway and just wants to be at home. <laughs> Maybe it's the cold weather at the moment, I don't know. So you arrived here in 2011, um, your wife got a job as an accountant which is fantastic and then yourself, um, at what stage were you able to, to get full-time work so you could also support the family? After a month of, or, or two, right away, yeah. Continue to work in the same industry doing, uh, I had to, um, um, what do you call this, uh, step back for a bit. Uh, I started again as a role for SEL again because you know, I don't mind as long as I get a job during that time. But just so I'm still lucky because I get to do the same thing right, that I've been doing, yeah. SEO. And then you know, during that time, I was uh, working for one of the media agencies or digital agencies here in Sydney. And then you know they realized and I showed them that I know more other than SEO. And that's you know, they gave me an opportunity. Ah, oh, you can do this. You can do that. Try try doing this. Considering the high standard of living in Australia, Melga and his wife opted to stay with their relatives when they first arrived. Little did they know that would open the door to the beginnings of their property journey. 
we just uh, stayed with her, uh, my wife's uh, distant relative, uh, like third cousins. We just stayed there for like a month. So they help us, you know, uh, help us stay stay here for a bit while you're looking for uh, a place that you can live on near to where you guys will work. Yeah, plus we're used we're used to paying rent a month here. So we went on a, one of my um, uh, wife's um, uh, distant cousin's uh, birthday. We went to to that event and uh, um, they were talking about property, and then we, um, yeah, we heard uh, one of her cousins uh, talking about talking about you know investments and all and we were just having conversations and listening to them and they were below their 30s during that time so that was 2015 and they already have 10 properties combined <laughs> i was like how are they able to do that and they're under their 30s that's the time that i became curious about it well like what am i what are we doing wrong <laughs> me being you know data guy doing the research i started doing research about it reading uh, online and um, started asking them questions how did it you know explaining me oh it's simple you know equity extract equity you reimburse that i was like what hell is equity <laughs> i don't even know those terms you know time Leaning in on his growing interest in the newfound pursuit, Melgar recognized the need to thoroughly educate himself if he wanted to succeed. I started putting time on it, uh, learning by myself, and there are things that you know I can't really answer by just learning by myself. So what I did is I took different, uh, I enrolled myself to different uh, property education courses. I was like, ah, oh, this is too much. Five, uh, I need to pay five grand, but I'm still, you know. Education is education. You know, if if I'm able to buy one property and it will save me one, and then I can repeat the process, then I guess five grand is worth it. Coming from a third world country, right? we don't really want our hard-earned money just to go to waste. Right? <laughs> How long before you actually first came and go, went? You know, I'm going to buy a property because. Obviously, for, for immigrant to come across, you know, to get your permanent residence, um, I don't know if there's any specific rules around purchasing property and, and saving up a deposit and all that kind of stuff. Um, what, what kind of time frame did it take you to actually look at getting your first property? Uh, during that time, uh, we've already got our, um, our Australian visa, uh, not visa, but citizenship during that time. Yeah, yeah, this only takes you four years. Right? So we got it uh, 2015. Right? And after starting really serious learning uh, about property, uh, 2016 was the first uh, property that we purchased. That uh, even if we own, you know, we only have 10% deposit during that, that time. I was like, let, let's you know, let's let's give it a crack. Even at 10%, let's just pay LMI. And, uh, for us, you know, my wife being an accountant and, and me, we're, we're we're both numbers people we just said ah let's just see it as an opportunity cost we bought one for five nine five so we just you know we just save uh we were able to save um ten percent of that 
And then, of course, stamp duty and all. We even we even uh, borrowed money uh, to my mother-in-law, like, like 20 grand to help us with the stamp duty and all. <laughs> but we paid her back. Many people would have second-guessed themselves when buying their first property, but not Melga. So we bought the property in uh, somewhere, uh, in um, um, Eldersley, somewhere in southwest near Oran Park, Narellan area. So we bought a uh, f- um, four-bedroom, one-bath, and two-garage on a 630-square-meter lot. And uh, we're, we're, co- we're comparing that with uh, another property there that was um, being sold for uh, 550 during that time, on, but only a three-bedroom, one-bath, and two-garage. And, and I said on a 700 square block right so smaller house but bigger block i was like uh let's just go for a four better you know at least if it um, we don't have to do anything it's there four bedroom we can have it we can rent it more right yeah and the reason why we bought in that area at least worst comes to worst you know we can live in there. In actual fact, this first was your investment property. You didn't buy it to live in. You, you bought it to, to look at renting it out. Yeah, yeah. With the intention of, oh, whatever happens, worst comes to worst, if we really can't afford it, you know, we can just move there, move in there and live on it. And uh, I'm assuming that you, it was no problem to go to the bank and get a loan and, and set this all up? Yeah, that's the first thing that uh, we did. We made sure that you know, we, before we made an offer, we got pre-approval first. Melga didn't stop with the success of his first property purchase. He looked at the data in the area around New South Wales and Canberra and soon his sights were set on Queanbeyan. After that, so it took us uh, a good year uh, to buy another one. But the good thing with that, uh, 2016, uh, uh, we, I don't know if we're just lucky during that time, it's because it's on the tail end of the property boom but the property has increased and we were able to extract uh, small equity uh, from, from that. And um, aside from uh, we're able to extract equity, we were able, because we are on 90% LVR and we were able to put it now into 80 LVR. And you know, we was able to buy uh, an apartment unit, a two bedroom apartment unit uh, in regional area in uh yeah in um queenbian it's in the border of new south wales and canberra yeah so we bought that for um uh, 195 and there's already a tenant paying 250. so uh, yeah yeah it's possibly cash flow and it's really ugly uh, uh apartment unit so the reason why is you know we have the intention to renovate it in that time so when the when the client uh when the tenant moved out we renovated me and my friend went there so the friend that i was uh, talking about he's the guy who has the 10 properties right so he helped me out so we stripped the whole place um what we did what i did is i bought a kitchen being sold in uh, gumtree so those uh, 
houses that are about to be demolished. So they're selling the kitchen. So we took it out, put it in a thrifty truck, put it, bring it all the way there, uh, have some chippy adjusted work on it. And then, yeah, new kitchen. <laughs> when I was doing my research, looking at the numbers, um, during that time, Canberra already has um, at a high uh, rental or median rent. So people are um, going outside the Canberra area. So when I look at it, oh, okay, the nearest would be Queenbian. And you know, at least it'd be why we wanted to buy an ACT, but the problem is we want to buy a property that we can own it, right? So we decided in New South Wales, not an ACT, because I think ACT can't really own it. It's still federal. So yeah, so that's the reason. That's the reason why. So I said, oh, let's just start with unit. Yeah. How many properties have you purchased over over the period of time? Now we're able to buy five, but we sold that um, we sold that one that um, apartment unit because we already renovated it, yeah. made profit, and then um, we bought another one in Queenbian. Next one, a uh, couple blocks away. It's a house on a nine hundred square block. That's the reason why we bought it, we'll develop it, and then bought another property uh, in the uh, border of uh, New South Wales and Victoria. So both bought through there. So now we're left with uh, four. Coming up after the break, he tells the story of when he gave a property seller a bold ultimatum and I said, okay, don't sell to anyone. I'm going to add, instead of 500, I'm going to add 15 grand more. But you have to make, you know, tell the vendor they have to make the decision by the end of the day. The personal reason that further electrified his passion for property development. As an investor coming and as being a migrant moving here, when I move, you, being a migrant, when you move, you, you, you're, you look right away for a safe and affordable accommodation, right? He delves into how he's doing due diligence and research has been his key to success. The thing is, I realized when I was doing those property um, courses, I paid five grand, but yeah, they're going to teach you, you know, what you need to do. And that's next. I'm Taran Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. With firm determination and a solid plan to develop the properties in his portfolio, Melgar faced his fears head on. I guess the only fear that I had was when I was doing those uh, Renault thing, when you, you don't have any control on the, if you're doing the project management yourself, you don't have any, sometimes you don't have any control with the tradies. Yeah, that's the only one. And because for me, if, you know, buying a property and then at the end of the day uh, if you buy a property I think the worst thing that can happen is nothing <laughs> right because at the end of the day you know five or ten years from now it worst things worse it will not double the value but at least it would have increased by 10% or 20% right 
I guess the issue um, with trade is, I, I guess that's it. But with finance, um, um, probably every every investors who uh, gets into their fourth one uh, is going to have a hard time you know, with their fifth one, especially with the tier one uh, vendors. So yeah, but for now we uh, we definitely have to step back. Because uh, now we're in the process of you know, developing um, uh, two of our properties because uh, we bought them uh, for the purpose of uh, having multiple strategies, not, not just buy and hold. At least we can put in a granny flat or at least we can subdivide or at least we can um, develop them. Right? So we learned all of those things as we go along <laughs> the journey. Our situation that we have three dependents, yeah, that's the one that uh, holds us back because uh, we, we can, but with the property, uh, with the asset type or with the type of property that we want to buy, uh, it will we'll just end up buying the one that you know, will not fit or the requirements and we we don't want to force it we'd rather just wait than than, than buy something that you know, we doesn't fit our requirements multiple strategies can work for different properties the key lies in knowing which ones are worth holding on to and developing and melga made sure he used the right strategy with his properties well actually all four of them are developable uh, but the two ones we've already um, the one in Queen Bien, so we bought that. That's a three um, three bedroom house and nine hundred square block. So we that's also the reason why we bought that because it's on a R four zone, so it's a high density zone with a fifteen meter height limit. So I was thinking, oh, okay, it was being sold for five hundred grand during that time. And I spoke to agent, you know said, ah, I did my due diligence, and I saw, what can I do there, right? And I said, okay, don't sell to anyone. I'm going to add, instead of 500, I'm going to add 15 grand more, but you have to make, you know, tell the vendor they have to make the decision by the end of the day. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the agent called me, oh, they're happy to accept, you know, 15 grand more. And yeah, so I did my continue doing a due diligence and um, 20, what, 2019, yeah, we applied for a development application for a, a 24 room new generation boarding house. So it's 24 rooms. It's like a studio apartments with en-suite, right? So it's, so it's three level, not three, but because the main, the ground floor is an in-ground parking for 14, car space and the, and the manager room is on that level so 12 rooms on the second floor and then another 12 rooms on the, on the third floor oh wow and how many parking spaces did you say it has 14 oh how come only 14 wouldn't they usually have a parking space for each room because um it's during that time it's still under um affordable housing policy for set that for every uh room uh, the requirements is 0.5 parking 
because it's an affordable housing policy. Yeah. Prior to that, it used to be 0.2 and then they increased. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay, this is what we can do. And then, yeah. And then um, it took us 20 months to get the, to get the DA out. A lot of back and forth, back and forth. Um, um, council was pretty supportive because uh, for them, it's going to be the first in that, in that area. And it will so it will also support um, the affordability uh, uh, rental affordability hub uh, crisis within that area. So Gilbert, just curious, um, have you gone back and did evaluation on how much that property is now worth? Because if you've purchased it at like five fifteen, how much do you think it would be worth now with the DA on it? Without the DA first, it's um, it just got reevaluated for eight fifty. And then uh, with the DA, because um, it's going to be fall under commercial. Yeah. So it's based on the revenue and then the cap rate. So it's valued at around two mil. Yeah. Excellent. Have you, have you figured out, you know, the costs involved in actually building this? Yeah. The cost involved, well, the build cost would be around 3 million, 3.5. Wow. Three to build it. And how much would you say you could potentially rent it out for then for something like this? Uh, each room would be rented around three twenty to three fifty each room, so around four hundred plus, yeah, per annum. Wow, wow, that's fantastic. That's a very good return. I mean, especially what you're going to have to do. Um, but do you, do you plan to keep it, or are you planning to sell it? Well, we're still uh, see if we can um, resolve the finance. But, you know, exit strategy would be, you know, sell it with the DA. With such a phenomenal achievement, Melga is keen on the lessons he's learned along the way, applying them on his next property project. What I've learned is if, if you really know um, what you're doing and if you, you, need, you need to have a good team behind you, an architect, a town planner, yeah. and because we had um, we had a shadow issue complained by uh, the neighbors, and we were able to get around with it, uh, um, update the design to comply. The second one is in regional Victoria, so that's a rooming house. So Victoria has a rooming house policy. Yeah, so um, our application got approved in two days. It's pretty quick. So yeah, because um, Victoria has a pretty straightforward policy when it comes to that. So as, as long as, yeah, yeah, as long as you comply, they've seen your provider um, requirements, they've seen your plan and all, just stamp it and they'll say, oh, okay, you can proceed to building permit now. So that's where we are now, building permits. So now we're putting in seven, um, seven micro apartments with so it's like a boarding house, but with en suites and all. So it's like 35 square meters per, per room with their own en suite and um, kitchenette. But they still have um, they still have their shared facility like the dining, kitchen, and laundry. That's what I realized, you know, as an investor coming and as being a migrant moving here. When I move. You, being a migrant, when you move, you 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 look right away for a safe and affordable accommodation, right? 
it just so happened that me and my wife moved here together. But I see most of the migrants, they move by themselves first, you know, leave the family there, either the wife or the husbands move here, and then, you know, they rent somewhere, or even they share, do a share house, rent a room, and once they get a job, you know, save enough, that's when they get the family, right? So, I guess, you know, being uh, on this space, or that's where we're focusing now, is, I guess, we're not just investing, I guess we're, in a way, we're helping uh, provide a safe and affordable accommodation. Now, looking back through the years, he highlights a huge aha moment that started it all and the personal motivation that continues to fuel his passion for property. So, I'm into data. So, I'm using, I was able to identify those locations using you know, the research and all. So aha moment is during the COVID, uh, COVID um, times that, okay, that's when I, uh, why don't I create something out of those spreadsheets that I've been using? Because okay? uh, we were able, because before that we were able to help a couple of friends of ours. And it worked well for them, and they're also the one who pushed us. Hey guys, why don't you, you know, create something out of it? And yeah, being background of analytics and a bit of programming as well, that's how um, we created this tool, a property research tool, it's named Suburbs Finder. So that's how it all started. And now, um, it's we launched it around 2020. So now it's being used by you know, mostly buyers agents. Because it saves a lot of time. And that, I think that's a great thing that you've achieved, especially if you've already shown it to work in your own situation and you've been able to apply it and in other people, you know, I think you've got a fantastic um, head start you know, to be able to assist with that because the challenge is, is the biggest, I think, challenge is the time to spend researching. You know, and you need to do it. It's important. But if you don't do it, it's, uh, it's not going to be... Yeah, because the thing is, I realized when I was doing those property um, courses, I paid five grand, but yeah, they're going to teach you, you know, what you need to do. You know. But there's one question they're going to, if you ask them, they're just going to say, do your own research, <laughs> right? If you ask them, so where's the, where's the, where's the, Where's the perfect place to buy? Do your own research. <laughs> and there's no one size fit all strategy. It all depends, I guess, on your personal circumstances and based on your financial situation. That's right. Yeah. And hence the reason why, you know, everyone has to do their own due diligence and research differently because you're looking for a different criteria. And hence, you know, because with all of us are time poor, we all use buyers agents to be able to assist us to find it because we want to be able to move quickly on, on doing the next deal. But not only buyers agents, you know, regular moms and dads investors are using it as well. But majority are, yeah, the buyers agents because they're using it every day of their life. Excellent. Well, congrats on that. That's that's really really great to be able to hear that this came out of a need um, that everyone needs as well. And I think that's that's a great thing that you've done. I guess the driving force is, um, yeah, coming from middle class family you know, from a third world country, right? um, and then being here, 
know, working your ass off and then seeing that, oh, okay, well, well what am I, what's, what's our life going to be like when we stop working? Because right? <laughs> you can only work for a certain age. We, we don't want to be dependent on, on um, we call this, on the pension. And at the same time, we want to leave something, most importantly, I'd say, we want to leave something for the kids as well. If you were to look back and see yourself 10 years ago, what do you think you would have said to him? I should have started investing more. <laughs> I should have um, get myself um, financially literate right away. Because <laughs> that's, that's a thing, right? I mean, um, at an early age, I guess, you know, the, the generation now, they get paid more right away. But even if they pay, get paid more, they spend more. Looking forward to the future, what are you most excited about in your property journey? I know you've talked about those two developments. Is that sort of what you're going to be excited about? We'll just continue doing the process. How much of this success that you've achieved so far has been due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it do you think has been attributed towards luck? Uh, it's a combination of everything, I'd say. Um, it's hard to put in a percentage or breakdown and all those because everything is connected, right? So yeah, I guess it all goes down to what's your what's your goal, right? If if you really have, want to achieve something in life, um, you're really gonna work hard for it, even if it's not property investing, whatever that is, you know, whatever your passion is, you really want to achieve something or out of it. Yeah, you, you, you really Thank you to Gilbert Melgar, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.